Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. The hero for today is Onesimus. We're going to have a competition to find out how many different ways you can say that. I've got at least four, but I won't go into that right now. So Onesimus was a slave. I'm going to read some of his story from the book of Philemon. I might read from about verse 6 or somewhere around there. That is why I am boldly asking a favour of you. I could, this is Paul, by the way, talking to Philemon, okay? And by the way, this letter will be read to the church uh, of uh, Colossae. It will be read so everyone will know what's going on. I could demand in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man now a prisoner for the sake of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. <clears throat> I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. <clears throat> so Onesimus is a slave. I remember back in the day when we were at Lucendale, in the southeast, in out in the farming area, and Maureen was doing a kids' talk, and she said, she was telling them about this story, and she said, "Do you know what a slave is?" And they said, "No, they didn't know it. We live in a culture that we don't really know what slaves are." And she said, "Well, the nearest thing I can think of a, of being a slave is a farmer's wife at shearing time." <laughs> All the women went, yeah. <laughs> all the guys went, rah, rah. <laughs> they were nearly all farmers in that, in that church, I want to say. And so that was fine. That afternoon, we were out on one of these farms, about another 40 k's west, on what they call Reedy Creek Range. And there was a lot of Christians living in farms along there of different denominations. <laughs> Anglicans, Af no, Anglicans and a couple of Catholics uniting, AOG. And Lutherans, they were all out there, and they got on well, and they had this home group, and they all loved God, they all loved Jesus, and they all believed the Bible. That was just a great group. So I, anyway, we were out there, and at the end of the evening, or the afternoon, the guys are talking about Maureen's kids' talk about this, and they're saying, well, I don't know about that, I, I think, you know, I, I should think I've been up to something, or, yeah, no, not a good idea, they're all going, and then another guy comes in, and he's a Lutheran, and they says, what do you think? And he says, I'm all for it, I think it's a great idea, <coughs> I'm going to do it, oh, and they, and they just all changed, obviously he had influence. One of the guys came to me and said, look, here's some money, he gave me 50 bucks or more, this is in... 1992, that was worth a bit. Get some flowers for Phyllis and get some for so-and-so to give to his wife. If you can get them and give them to, to my son, then he'll bring them home on the bus. And that's what happened. A few days later, I saw him. He said, how'd that go? He says, oh, apparently Phil really had trouble. She couldn't cope with it. He'd never done anything like this in his life. But she got used to it. I want to say those two are amazing fathers and mothers of the faith. 
and still absolutely active in the serving God. So, he lived in a household in Colossae and Philemon was the master of the house. Those households were big. A lot of people lived in them and also the church at Colossae most likely led that he may have even been in charge of the church. And so he owns, he owns Onesimus. And you might think, how does a Christian own a slave? Well, he probably had slaves before he was a Christian. It never occurred to him that Christians don't keep slaves. It just, it just never occurred to him. And so they had to, it was just entrenched into the culture that slaves were just normal part of life. Here we have cars, that's part of a normal part of life. There they had slaves. And so in those days, to be a slave meant someone owned you. They owned you lock, stock and barrel. And I just want to say, slavery in the Greco-Roman world was different to Hebrew slavery, where there were some rules and regulations about treatment of slaves. In the Roman Greco world, there were no rules and regulations. You did exactly as you pleased with those slaves, in any way that was honourable or despicable. It didn't matter. <coughs> you bought and sold them, and they had no rights whatsoever. And 25% of the population in the Roman world were slaves. Today, 40.3 million people are in slavery in Australia. There are more people in, in Australia, in the world, <laughs> there are more people in slavery today than at any other time in history, as far as we know. That is awful. <laughs> so, you're a slave... You're, you're a society symbol, you're a status symbol, your treatment could be good, your treatment could be bad, and if you ran away, you would get really beaten up, you'd be in a lot of trouble, you'd be sent back to your master, and you could have all sorts of pain. It was an awful thing. You get old and feeble, you might be looked after well because you're part of the family, so to speak, maybe, or they just sell you off to send you off to the slave markets, just like farmers send old cattle and sheep off to the abattoirs and things like that. It's not much different. <clears throat> so Onesimus is in this. He's a product of this culture. And so he runs away. And you've got to think, why did he do that? Where do you go? Who's going to look after you? And he ran away. Now, Philemon probably wasn't a hard master. I get the feeling from way, the way Paul relates to him, he's a good man and he's probably kind, but he owns slaves. In that household, there would have been a lot of other slaves. I don't know how they treated him, but you know, when there are a whole bunch of underdogs, often they really have their own pecking order, don't they? And they behave badly towards each other. And Onesimus was young. His name means useful, a common name given to slaves, maybe to encourage them to do well <coughs> in the household. And he was absolutely useless. And you could just imagine, they would be calling him, oh, they say you're useful, but you're useless. He keeps on dropping things. He's clumsy. He's this, he's that. And, you know, if you keep on feeding that type of thinking into someone, 
they just get worse. Isn't it funny how there's a certain type of person, no matter what you do, when they're there, you get it wrong all the time. Has anyone had that experience? It does happen. It doesn't matter what, you, you get it wrong. And he ran away. Look, when I went to England in 1968, met Maureen in England, and uh, came home with a wife and a baby, <laughs> but I went with this mate of mine, <laughs> Kate, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> you go to England, you come home with a wife and baby. That's what happens. That was 50-odd years ago, and there you go. And I'm not sure why this is so funny, but... <laughs> so I went with my mate, Mac, and he was a while ago. We'd known each other all our lives, and we went off to England, and we shared bed sets and those sorts of things. We got on really well, <clears throat> and, uh, but occasionally we would argue... Very occasional. I remember one day we were having this argument, and he was being ridiculous. I think he was, because I can't remember what it was. I said, oh, don't be stupid. And he said to me, his face just went like red and steam came out of his He said, stupid? Stupid? Don't you call me stupid? They always call me stupid. I backed off because I realised he had three brothers and one sister, and they were... Well, sibling-wise, they were pretty robust in the way they used to do things from time to time. You speak the certain things into people and it affects them deeply. It really affects them. So he runs away. And folks, sometimes, physically we don't run away, but within our minds and hearts, we run away. We just separate ourselves. And people wonder why we've got distant but there's something going on that has caused you to run in your head. So he runs and he goes to Rome. Rome is over 2,000 kilometres away by road today. On a Roman road, maybe even more. <coughs> and how he got there, I have no idea. He would have been dodging patrols of, of troops going up and down those roads. There'd be checkpoints, there'd be forts, there'd be robbers, there'd be thugs. Whatever, he got to Rome. Maybe he went by sea and stowed away. He got to Rome. And in those days, Rome had a million people. And while Rome on the TV, on blockbuster movies, looks fantastic, that was only a bit of it. Most of it was just this mishmash of streets and houses and tenements, <coughs> lots of tenements, several stories high. It's open sewers, <coughs> filth on the roads. It was just a conglomeration of people from all over the world. A million ha inhabitants, 250,000 slaves, by the way, in all of that. And he finds Paul. How does he find Paul in the middle of all that? <coughs> well, I guess it had to be a God thing. <coughs> Did he know Paul? Well, we know Paul never went to Colossae. Maybe... Philemon went to Ephesus and got saved at Ephesus, 160 kilometres away. It's a possibility. Maybe Onesimus was there. Maybe he knew about it, <coughs> whatever. He got there. You know, you can run away, but you can't run away from God, can you? <coughs> so he gets there <coughs> with Paul and he gets saved. Well, if you're going to hang around Paul, you're going to get saved. Hey, hey. Wouldn't that be an amazing story for every one of us if people said, you hang around with them, you'll get saved. That's what's going to happen. That's a challenge, isn't it? People hang around with you, they're going to get saved. <clears throat> so he gets saved. His life is transformed. God hadn't given up on him. He'd given up on himself, 
but God hadn't given up on him. Sometimes we think God's given up, don't we? <clears throat> Sometimes we do. So he gets transformed. He is forgiven of his, forgiven of his sins, of his past. He has the hope of eternal life. He has a future. He's set free. <clears throat> and now he is a child of God and he has a destiny. He's filled with the Spirit. In those days, if you became a Christian and Paul was around, you got filled with the Spirit. It was part of the deal. You lead someone to Christ, you pray for them to be filled with the Spirit. That's a good thing. You pray for someone who wants to receive Jesus, pray for them to be filled with the Spirit. Don't say, wait for a bit till they know a bit more. Get them to have the power now. It's a good idea. They may not walk away from Jesus on the Monday if they're filled with the Spirit. You just need to think about this. And no, I won't go down that track. <clears throat> so he is filled with the Spirit. He has the power of the Spirit to face his fears, to face being a runaway slave head on. His heart is different and he knows he's not useless, that he is useful. For some of us, that sort of stuff has been spoken into your lives that you're absolutely useless or you're stupid. But God says you are useful, you are not stupid, you are my son and daughter and you have a future. Onesimus discovered that his heart was different and he was useful. And so Paul decides to send him back to Philemon. I was telling Maureen about this and she says, I think Paul stinks, she says. I says, why sending me back to that awful place? The reality is, is that Paul had to send him back. One was the law said, you harbour a runaway slave, you're in trouble and it can cost you a lot of money. Well, Paul wasn't adverse to taking a few risks, he did it all the time. That wasn't his real concern. If Onesimus never went back, he would be looking over his shoulder for the rest of his life. If he was 80 years old and he was caught, which he could have happened, he still got sent back or punished or something. Something would happen to him. So for his benefit, that had to happen. And it was the right thing to do as far as Philemon went. So he had to do the right thing there. And so... He sends him back. I'm just going to read a bit more from the scripture. I'll go from verse 12 through to verse 16. I'm sending him back to you and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent I wanted you, to, wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems that you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He's no longer like a slave to you. He's more, like, more than a slave for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he, he will mean much more to you both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So here, there is a change in relationship. Onesimus goes from slavery to kinship. He was a slave, but now he is a brother in this household. That is awesome. And we 
when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, we know we are forgiven, we're set free, and we have a future and we have a hope and a destiny. We go from slavery to sin to kinship. God is our Father and Jesus is our brother. So in this household, things radically change. We just read a few words and we don't get it until we think about it. What you are seeing here is the beginning of the change in the of culture in the Roman world. It took probably another 300 years or so to, be, to, to come to full fruition, but it starts here now and we're getting a snapshot of it. <clears throat> Paul could have said to Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus back. I want you to set him free and I want you to set all the other slaves free in the household. I want you to pay Onesimus <coughs> what you owe him for all his life service to you. I want you to tell all your friends and business associates to set their slaves free and pay them and not to buy any goods bought, made or bought or sold or anything to do with slaves. He could have done that and I reckon they would have taken that up. I do not think so. It was entrenched in culture. If someone said, I want you to get rid of all of your cars, get rid of them, <clears throat> you know, get rid of them and pay anyone damages because you had a car and they breathe the fumes or something, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And it wouldn't happen there. So here, he starts changing the culture. He starts changing the culture. What he is saying is radical. It is counterculture. says... Philemon starts treating this slave, this former slave, as his brother. There's a whole change of relationship in the household. And the other slaves would have been treated in the same way. He would have got it. That would stand out. That is counterculture. People think of counterculture as being hippies and people like that going and living off in a commune somewhere and that's it. Counterculture means you stand out in your society and you are different and the difference is Jesus. And that is how the early Christian church worked. And over 300 years or so, even under persecution, living in a culture that said anything goes, the Roman world was converted to Christianity. And we think we can't convert our society because they think everything, oh, well, what's good for me is good for me. What's good for you is good for you. What you believe is all right. All of that. They thought the same way. If we are counterculture, we have to stand out. And I'm not talking about wearing nice, shiny black shoes, creased black pants, white shirt and a red tie and a part down the, whichever the right side to have a part is and looking like the perfect Christian from something back in the 50s. It is looking like Jesus and it is behaving like Jesus and being kind to people and being good to people because that is how Jesus is to us. And that is what Paul was asking Philemon to do, to be like, to be like Jesus to this former slave and treat him well. I could go on about this for hours, but I won't. <laughs> and so it was counterculture. We're called to be counterculture, folks. So Onesimus went from being useless to useful. Now, here is why he is a hero. Here is why Onesimus is a hero. He was transformed by Jesus and had the power of God. 
Funny, all our biblical heroes had the power of God, didn't they? Yeah, it helps. It helps. I don't know if it's any easier being a hero with the power of God, but it's more achievable. We'll put it that way. <clears throat> and he had to face going back to his master and those other slaves who were probably downright mean to him. The thing is, he faced up to his fears to being useless. That was the thing he faced up to. And he overcame that. That is why he's a hero. We've been doing a series on heroes and we're just about to the end of it. It's, it's been going for a while. It's been quite amazing what people have come up with, who the heroes are. And all of those heroes faced tough stuff. They faced things that were difficult. They faced difficult choices, situations, and often it was downright dangerous. And Onesimus, well, what happened to him? Did he get set free? Did he get welcomed back? I'm pretty certain that that letter to Philemon wouldn't be in the Bible if he wasn't. <laughs> pretty confident about that. The thing is, we're not 100% sure, but historians are almost 100% sure that some years later, Onesimus was the bishop of Ephesus. Yeah. A lot of people have been tracking these Onesimuses around the place. He really fits the profile. And that was, even in those days, wasn't a massive distance away. It was doable with a Roman road. And so he would have, in his lifetime, touched and affected and influenced the lives of countless of people. Thousands of people would have been touched by God because of him and his ministry. And especially being a bishop in those days is probably, the image is probably a bit different to that of today. And then the spiritual offspring of those people would be innumerable. I can't say, you can't count them. You can't count them. So this Useless kid was very useless, useful. And if people have told you that you're useless and that memory won't go away from you in the power of God, you take it to God in his power, in his spirit and say, change this in me because I know that is not what you want for me. Onesimus faced his fears. He stepped up and he stepped into his destiny. He, in effect, crashed through the quitting points and went back to the place where he had to face up to being useless. And he would have won. You don't become the Bishop of Ephesus if you're feeling useless. You do not do that. And so today, I want to say this. Your situation doesn't determine your destiny. Your situation and what is going on in your life does not determine your destiny. So here's the challenge. Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged or afraid for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You could say that to yourself, that the Lord my God is with me 
wherever I go. So folks, today, with those words, go out to the day with confidence. Step into your future. Step into your destiny, knowing that the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, and He will not abandon you. He will get you there. He will take you through the tough stuff. He'll take you through the rough stuff. And you will grow in stature and be incredibly useful in the kingdom of God. Okay. Well, that feels better. Glad I got that out. I'm going to pray for you guys. But really, I'd probably get the team out, I reckon, Mal. I love all of this. I was thinking of going down to the floor, but we still haven't got sort of uh, cameras that just follow the speaker around on their own as yet. But the day is coming. The day is coming. It's funny about how things that are said to you will just stay with you. I'm not preaching now, but I'm just going to tell you this anyway because while they're getting themselves ready... When I was a kid, I was in primary school, as you do when you're a kid, grade seven, and for some reason or other, we had a school social. There's about 40 odd kids in our class. You know, in those days, we were tough. We had lots of kids in the class. Well, the teachers were hard, but, well, I thought they were. And uh, so we're having this, and, part of, and parents were there as well. And part of the thing, they're having this pass the parcel, and there was notes. And then you come out and you, you'd read this and then you pass it on. They're all nice things. And then a pass, one gets opened and it says to the most left-legged boy in the class. And they all yelled out, that's Robert Moores. And I didn't even know what that meant. I said to my mother, what does left-legged mean? She said, it means clumsy. I didn't know I was clumsy. <laughs> well, it turned out, looking back, I actually was really uncoordinated. And, uh, and I've worked out why, which I won't go into now. And I thought, oh, I do not like the name Robert anymore. <laughs> My name is not Robert. And if you call me Robert, don't expect me to feel warm towards you because I won't. <laughs> it's like... You know, my name is Robert. That's not my name. That's not my name. You know, some of you have seen that on TV. No, <laughs> missed the joke. What you speak into people... And sometimes it can only be once and it will affect them. You, we need to really be careful of what we say. We need to be kind in what we say to people. And we need to be, to be loving in what we say. And we need to be good people. We need to stand out and look like Jesus. <coughs> that is impossible to do, but with the power of the Spirit, we can st start doing it and give it a go. So I'm going to pray. Let's stand up, and then we're going into worship. So start looking to heaven. Look into the heart of Jesus, into the eyes of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and bring your presence that we might know that Jesus is here. I pray, Lord Jesus, that through the power of your Spirit, we all would know without a doubt that we are absolutely loved by the Father. 
Father God, would you speak that into some who need to know that today? Lord Jesus, would you put hands on those whose hearts and minds have been damaged in the past through careless or deliberate or malicious words? Holy Spirit, come as Jesus walks amongst us. Would you bring healing to minds and hearts? Turning useless into useful. Turning stupid into worthwhile. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Would you remind us, Lord, of the transforming power of the cross? For those who are feeling guilty and don't know why, remind them. They are forgiven. For those who are anxious about the future, remind us again, Lord, that there is eternal life, that you have got this, Lord. You have got your, our future in your hands. More of your goodness, Lord. More of your power. More of your grace. More of your mercy. More, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd set our hearts alight. There'll be something burning in us for Jesus. A desire for more of the Holy Spirit, a desire to be more like Jesus, a desire to, to show the love of the Father to a community that is in turmoil, is anxious and doesn't know what to do. And I pray, Lord, amongst this community, in this church, that you would settle our hearts and bring confidence in you, Lord, the author and the one who holds history and our future in his hands. So we bless you, Father God. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day. Bye.